Bill Simbology. What is at stake? It is a big idea. A new world order where diverse nations are drawn together in common cause to achieve the universal aspirations of mankind. My question to you is, in any of your government jobs, have you ever been briefed on the subject of UFOs? And if you have, when was it? What were you told? Well, if I had been briefed on that, I'm sure it was probably classified and I couldn't talk about it. I got out in 1989, we had cataloged 57 different species. We walked over to one side of the lab and he said, by the way, we've discovered a base. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Greetings and salutations, fellow Sky Watchers from all corners of the globe. We're back live once again on this beautiful July 16th, 2014, depending on where you are, though. And joining us tonight, we have a very, very cool guest, a very special guest. His name is Ted Peters, and Ted Peters, uh, the author, Ted Peters, who just wrote a really cool book called UFOs. God's Chariots, and uh, we're going to talk to him about that book and about uh, all kinds of different things. If you're hearing a little crickling sound, that's uh, my co-host, Alan, who is... Where are you tonight, and why are we clicking? I honestly don't know why we're clicking. It's probably the dang blankety blankety bleepity bleepity hotel that I'm in throttling my bandwidth, um, which is sometimes something I cannot control. Now, what part of the globe are you joining us tonight from, uh, Alan? I am in the middle of somewhere in Florida in Podunk Town, Nowhereville. Which means I'll probably see Farmer Jim abducted by aliens tonight, and they're going to use a tractor beam on him. And you know how Farmer Bill is going to know they use a tractor beam on him? I'm afraid to find out the answer to this one. Oh, boy. Because it says John Deere on the UFO. Anyway, folks, tonight, if you want to join in on the conversation, the third segment of the show, uh, we will have open lines, and we'll take your calls, 786-245-8127. Please, we'd love to hear from you. And, of course, we have open lines during the first segment of the show also, so if you guys want to call in and uh, complain about the clicking, you can go ahead and do that. If you want to ask any questions, you can go ahead and do that. Also, we do have some uh, Skywatchers radio report news to get through and uh, and get to uh, a couple of news items that uh, came our way this uh, week from our good friends over at Open Minds Radio. It says, uh, you know, it's funny because every time I, I want to read anything uh, interesting when it comes to UFOs, that's like the number one destination on the planet, number one spot. Is that supposed to be a joke? Number one place on the planet? Yes, it's a good joke. Better than yours. Okay, you win. Yeah, it is. Now, it says here, space aliens walk among us. Yeah, no kidding, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Space yep. aliens walk I, Yeah, absolutely. I, I believe that. Sure, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, indeed, claims retired temple uh, professor, and uh, it says here, let me see, retired temple professor David Jacob in his uh, Windor home uh, claimed that he sees aliens, or as he sees it, aliens are from outer space, right? We kind of 
know that. Yeah, and we figured say, that. Yeah, it says the uh, the aliens that are from outer space have been kidnapping humans for eons and sexually molesting them to create some sort of human uh, alien hybrid that walk among us today, undetected, and soon will take over the Earth. Apparently, plausible. Yeah. Now, this might sound a little crazy to the normal folks, uh, but as you know, he, hear me out here. It says here, uh, long ago, quite caring uh, what took people uh, to think of him. He didn't stop caring about what people uh, thought of him, I should say. Um, as uh, director of the International Center of Abduction Research, Jacobs, who's 71, has made his life's mission to investigate claims of extraterrestrial abduction. Uh, he says here, what I'm doing will either be an interesting but non essential uh, footnote to the popular culture or the most important thing that's ever happened to humankind. Pretty important. I don't know. What do you think? More important than the toilet paper, Alan? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think toilet paper wins for humankind. I think so, too. Now, it says here, I see it as the latter. So I guess he sees it more important as toilet paper. I said, uh, Mr. Jacobs, now, who's now working on the uh, fifth book tentatively titled The New people and that's going to be uh, out pretty soon I'm pretty sure and you'll see him all over the radio and all over the internet if and, I uh, see him all over the radio that's going to be a really really cheap radio I'm going to buy metaphorically speaking Alan and there goes the clicking I, I dude okay well clicking uh, be gone I'm sorry I can't uh, deal with the clicking right now so um, we'll talk to Alan a little bit later. But anyway, while most people might write off UFO believers as deluded conspiracy theorists, Kooks Jacobs isn't your typical believer, says here. He was a tenured professor at a Temple University where he taught American history for 36 years before retiring in 2011. Uh, he's a married father of two who lives in a uh, picturesque 134-year-old Victorian just over the Philadelphia line. And uh, it says here he makes his case uh, with well-reasoned uh, articulate explanation and applies a scholarly uh, approach to his research, which he has shared in four books. So he's written a few books, folks. This is not a brand-new author to the scene. And um, four books. I, I've barely read that many books, but he's written four of them, and uh, they've been printed and they're well-known in the academic publisher's circle. Uh, Jacobs, ha Jacobs has interviewed about 150 people who say they've been abducted by aliens, the forgotten details of their cosmic kidnappings, resurfacing in relaxation sessions, and really you're sitting on a bed telling your stories. That's pretty relaxing. I uh, wonder if there's any medication involved. Anyway, uh, the self-taught hypnosis uh, doctor uh, does this in his own home. Right? Saves a lot of uh, money out of practice. Just do it out of your house. Citing public polls, he estimates that aliens have abducted more than a million Americans. How's that for a number? A million Americans. I'm going to ask Ted about that, what he thinks about that. Uh, I think it's probably a little bit more than that. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just speculating here. I think by now we've had a little bit more than a million Americans abducted, uh, or at least that we know of, uh, maybe a million, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it goes over a few million. In America only in the last 300 years. I'm pretty sure there's been more than a million Americans abducted and mutilated. Maybe not all by aliens, though. The government may be doing some of that stuff. You never know. Uh, remember when I talked to uh, Travis, you guys go back in my uh, archive, 
and uh, check out the show I did with Travis Walton, um, you know, we kind of hit off on, on a nice point uh, dealing with uh, the, his abduction scenario. And uh, part of uh, the stuff that we talked about was that perhaps he walked in on a government-sanctioned project. And there could be that possibility that, you know, aliens are uh, a misdirection, a decoy for some kind of government conspiracy, some kind of government project. Now, Jacobs has interviewed about 150 people who say they've been abducted by aliens, which is a lot. I mean, that's a lot of folks. Uh, But how many of them are actually telling the truth, though, guys? Really, I mean, let's be sincere. How many of those uh, so-called abductees are not kind of, you know... But anyway, uh, says here, citing public polls, he estimates that, again, that over a million Americans have been abducted. I call bat squash on that. I think it's much more um, that have been abducted and... A lot of them don't even uh, make the press. They don't, you know, I think a lot of the people that do come forward with, you know, maybe not all of them, but a good percentage of the ones that do come forward are kind of hokey and making it up just to kind of fit in a group and uh, be part of uh, ufology in a sense. Uh, but it doesn't mean that all of them are like that. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, folks uh, that have been abducted have come forward, uh, you know, and are actually uh, legitimate abductees. Now, abductees independently uh, independently report similar experiences and recall common details this year, such as the human-like or insect-like appearance of aliens. Of course, we all know about the, the grays or the big bug eyes. They look, they look a lot like praying mantises. I mean, I don't know if anybody uh, is familiar. I'm sure everybody's familiar with what a praying mantis looks like. To me, that's kind of what the grays always kind of resembled. And it would make sense, maybe, that uh, on another planet, some being would develop a big bulgy black eyes, I don't know. But many abductees told Jacobs uh, that aliens started uh, or stared deeply into their eyes, uh, sometimes touching their forehead in a neurological scan that enabled them to harvest human sperm and egg. Women frequently claimed that aliens impregnated them, removed the alien-human hybrid fetuses from their wombs, and forced the women to nurse the hybrid babies and even breastfeed and probably, I don't know. People are uh, physically absent during the uh, time they say they were abducted, and obviously if you're going to be abducted, you're going to be absent from time, right? Time is going to be missing. So yeah, missing time is something that's very familiar in the abduction scenario. Jacob said some families even have reported loved ones missing or seen them vanish, he added, and vanish like in thin air. Kind of like magic, like Abductees sometimes are taken in groups. Strangers who have never met on Earth recall each other from their deep space experiences, uh, Jacob said. People return with unusual marks, injuries, or scars, including scar tissues uh, that form overnight. Which, how the hell does that happen? A biological impossibility that, uh, that he says here that he has seen himself. Now, for years, Jacobs shunned speaking locally about alien abductions. Shunned it. He didn't want nothing to do with it. He said, I knew that it was an embarrass- it was embarrassing to the university, he said, uh, remembering one temple donor who threatened to end his uh, charity unless Jacobs quit teaching his UFO class, the only one like it in the country, by the way. But he didn't quit. Still, his beliefs carried a cost. Uh, tenured in 1981, he said, he was twice rejected for promotion 
for promotion and never became a full-time professor at Temple. And uh, he says, I was not rewarded for my views, Jacob said, but you do not often find yourself in the middle of a phenomenon like this that allows you to make a contribution to something that could be an unsurpassing importance in human history. Jacobs is among a small but supporting, uh, says here, a small but surprising array of well-known folks who reportedly believe in extraterrestrial life, including former U.S. President Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan. Former astronaut uh, Edgar Mitchell, of course, has come forward. We all know about Edgar Mitchell. Uh, Gordon Cooper has come forward as well. We all know that. Theoretical physicist Stephen Hawkins and celebrity Mick Jagger, Dan Aykroyd, my favorite, and the greatest of all times, Muhammad Ali have all reported as seeing aliens. Oh, and William Shatner, Captain Kirk himself, has seen aliens. Now, I find this kind of funny, though. Muhammad Ali, Ronald Reagan, now, right? These guys had um, Alzheimer's. Uh, Alzheimer's. Uh, Reagan passed away. Muhammad Ali is still living, but in very bad shape. I don't think he, I don't think he remembers where he's at right now at any given uh-huh. moment. I mean, he is completely out of it, uh-huh. folks. But, um... Dan Aykroyd, you know, he's, he's gotten a little loonier over the time. What I'm trying to get at here is uh, it's a very wide spectrum of uh, celebrities are into this stuff and uh, people within the government like Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, Edgar Mitchell, Gordon Cooper. Stephen Hawkins, though, still has the best quote when it comes to aliens that I've ever seen somebody uh, put out there. And it was about how we should be careful with making contact with aliens or sending out signals that attract aliens because, well, you know, it could, they could be hostile. And last time, uh, you know, somebody landed on this land here in the U.S. that was from outside the U.S. and uh, landed here for the very first time. Well, it didn't work out too well for the natives. You know, that's uh, that was his theory. And, of course, we don't want to see that on a galactic scale. The worst thing I think that could happen, though, is if we do get that White House lawn, uh, you know, uh, that landing on the lawn, and um, it turns out that once the uh, ship opens up and the aliens are starting to walk out and all the smoke comes out, because, you know, it has to be like Hollywood, right? You have to have a little smoke coming out and little aliens coming out first, and then you see the bigger aliens. And they all look like six foot eight or seven foot five or eight foot tall Native Americans. That would be the end I think of uh, America. I mean, it was a nice run. Yeah, so I might as well just end it right there, I, I guess. I don't know. But uh, interesting article. Look, if you guys want to read along, uh, like always, we have this posted over on our Skywatchers Radio Facebook page at facebook.com uh, forward slash Skywatchers Radio. You can check that out every week. We post a lot of news in there, especially when we're doing live shows like tonight uh, that is a live show. And uh, with this uh, great website that is Facebook. You can always keep up to date with what we're putting on here. And another story from, um, and actually this this got me a little sidetracked, so I paused there for a second because it was freezing my browser. Uh, But this has a video that I want everybody to watch. It's really funny. It really is. Just don't watch it now. Just follow along with the story. This is from Open Minds also. Uh, (laughs) uh, You know, officially now we know Area 51 is real, right? Officially, it's uh, it's no longer a secret. Uh, President Obama even uttered the words "Area 51." You know, it's it's an official place. Now, as a lot of folks know, there there are tours. They go all the way to the edge 
of the desert where Area 51 begins, and then you see the trucks showing up and all that stuff, and you know they'll stop you if you cross the the you know that that line. Well, a tour bus accidentally crossed the line and drove into Area 51. And, uh, well, it didn't end pretty uh, pretty uh, well for them. It says your tourists in Nevada recently got more than they were bargaining for uh, when their uh, tour guide accidentally passed the, uh, the no trespassing sign and drove into Area 51. They were quickly uh, tailed by security trucks and asked to get out of the van immediately. The tour then got much less fun. The whole thing was caught on camera, which is really funny. You can actually see the reaction when they're being pulled over. The story was featured on KLAS TV's 8 News Now. Uh, as an I-Team investigation and presented by veteran reporter the great George Knapp. Knapp is credited, credited, of course, for putting Area 51 on the map, so who better to tell a story like this, right? Uh, when he uh, covered the story back in 1989 and an alleged whistleblower at the time, Mr. You know who? Bob Lazar, who supposedly worked at the super secret, unacknowledged base at the time. Now everybody knows it's there. The men said that he worked on back engineering alien technology. Now, it's funny that now we do have full acknowledgement the bases there. Is that a possible step towards disclosure? I don't know. There's an audio I'm going to play uh, later on for an air show, but uh, there's a very funny audio to this. I don't have the audio clip because it's not really for radio, Uh, but it is very funny. You guys should definitely watch the video. Um, The reaction of the driver is priceless. Priceless. Um, The reaction of everybody is priceless. Now, they all got charged with trespassing. Uh, They all got cited for this thing, which is crazy. Think about it. You know, you're on a tour... You pay to see whatever, you know, wherever the tour goes, and all of a sudden you're going near Area 51. It's not something you expect, obviously, but, you know, you know, to cross that line, they weren't expecting that. And when you see what happens, it's clearly a mistake. It's not like they were doing it on purpose or anything like that. Uh, the funny thing is that it's, it was all recorded. Everything was recorded both on... Uh, it was recorded, of course, you know, by the uh, cam inside the uh, the tour bus who was recording the entire conversation, everything, pointed at the driver and pointed at the other people, the passengers. But there was also a camera pointed in the back of the car and in the front of the car there was taking shots uh, you know, from both directions, I guess, to see uh, if they see the trucks or whatever. And uh, it says here, uh, ever since tourists have been flocking the base, uh, which all at once has been the most secret and well-known uh, and well, as perhaps the most famous U.S. Air Force installation, the tour van that crossed the line from the Aventura of Photo Tours, co-owner uh, Donna Tryon, told KLAS that some of the tourists are just curious. Uh, they don't really know what it's about. Others believe they have been abducted. And others believe they're, uh, they're actually aliens and they want to go back out there to hopefully go back home. She says we get all kinds of people. Uh, Tryon says that their Area 51 tour includes a lot of stops that have become famous in the area, but the spots most people want to see, of course, is the Keep Out sign that says their drivers are very careful not to pass that sign, and they warn the passengers that you can never go over the line, man. Do not step over the line, because you're going to get shot. Anyway, now... This is a very famous line, a uh, very famous sign. If you guys go to Google, type in Keep Out Area 51, you'll see the sign. <clears throat> very famous. Now, it says here, although uh, Tryon says that her driver or drivers are very careful 
Uh, you know, there are bound to be mistakes in any business. Obviously, nobody's perfect, right? Now, when your business is, of course, taking people to the edge of a top-secret military facility, the mistakes uh, that one makes may be a little bit more interesting than in other cases. Uh, while cruising down the uh, dirt road, like I said, leading to Area 51, Dennis Ryan is the driver's name of the tour van, was distracted by questions um, about sports, of all things. Wasn't even dealing with aliens, which is funny. You could see it in the video. He's like looking all around and and it, you know the camera's picking everything up including directly at the signs right so it, it you could see when the signs are being picked up but he's not even looking towards the sign so he completely misses it um and he's really just distracted by the questions and they're talking about sports not even aliens that's the that's the the comedy here is the funniest thing uh, he says he missed the warning sign and a minute or two later, the uh, passengers noticed that they were being followed by a white truck, and O.J. Simpson was nowhere to be found. Wasn't the juice. This was not the juice, okay? And anyway, he was being followed by a white truck, and he says the whole time the cameras were running, like I said, uh, inside the van, the tourists uh, thought that this was all part of the show. Uh, they thought it was all part of the tour. Uh, boy, were they surprised. However, Ryan can be heard saying, oh, man, I apologize for this. Uh, those are the men in black. Dun, dun, dun. The tourists uh, were right to think they were experiencing something other than, uh, than you know, than the normal. But uh, unfortunately, it was not planned, and it was not a planned added bonus to their tour. Area 51 has an uh, agreement with Lincoln County. Uh, they handle the trespassing cases, so the tourist group... Uh, had to wait for the Lincoln County deputies. Once they arrived, the passengers and the driver were all cited for trespassing. And they were given court dates. Even the people inside, the, the even the tourists, the passengers, were given court dates for this thing, and they were cited. Now, check this out. The tourists, a couple from the U.K., a mother and a son from the East Coast, uh, were no longer having a good time since year, no kidding, uh, when they were facing a fine of $650 per person. And not only that, this is the, the worst tour ever, buddy. Not only is it $650 per person to fine, they also had misdemeanor convictions added to them. So they turned tourists into criminals. How funny is this? Now, since here, Will Trion, the uh, driver and another, or the owner and another co-owner of the amazing photo tour, said, uh, we were afraid they would, uh, they would issue a bench warrant for these people. My God, turn good, good normal tourists into, into criminals. That's what they're doing here. Lincoln County District Attorney Dan Hogus did not believe the incident was an accident. Uh, of course not. He thought that the uh, group was in cahoots to see what would happen if they crossed the sign. Luckily, when KLAS uh, contacted the DA to ask him about the case, they let him in on the fact that the whole thing was kind of video recorded. Upon viewing the video, the DA recognized that the expression on the face of the driver was shock, not someone making mischief. The uh, charges were then dropped for all but the driver, who is now barred from Area 51 tours for at least two years. So, yeah, he ain't going to be making that mistake again, folks. That's the last time that guy drives around there making that mistake. Uh, he should do, like, tours around sports athletes' homes. Huh? I mean, he likes sports, obviously. The one condition the DA did require, though, for dropping the charges on the passengers was that the, uh, the forward-facing video on the tour van not be made public. 
Interesting, right? Knapp clarifies that this was because the cameras caught security trucks coming from inside the base. He says, for the record, there were no shots of flying saucers or secret aircrafts in that video. Do you believe him? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I don't think there's any spacecrafts in the video. But it's still a very funny story. And again, uh, openminds.tv uh, if you guys want to read that article. Or you can just go to our uh, website on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Skywatchers Radio and check that out. Check the page there. Uh, I'm going to go through one more story and then uh, we're going to hit the commercial breaks uh, and get our guest, Mr. Peters, on. Can't wait to talk to him. Awesome book, by the way. Um, Actually, this is uh, something I really wanted to get to. It's a uh, it's, uh, convention that's going to be uh, held. And uh, everybody who's obviously into ufology are going to want to go to this thing. A weekend of exploration into the extraterrestrial life. Ancient aliens, human origins, crop circles, UFO sightings, contact experiences. Uh-huh. And the need to know. Yaman. Now, Contact in the Desert will explore UFOs, ancient aliens, and much more. The Contact in the Desert conference... Uh, oh, that's my phone there. Let me turn that off. Sorry about that. Uh, conference is returning to the Joshua Tree in California. It says this year will mark the second year for the event, which takes place at the Joshua Tree uh, Retreat Center. Contact in the Desert is a three-day-long conference that features several lecturers on extraterrestrial-related topics. Event organizer Paul Andrews claims that the registration for this year's event have more than doubled from last year's registrations. That's pretty good, right? That means people are uh, interested in the subject. Yeah. Now, Los Angeles Daily News reports that according to Andrews, the event's popularity can be attributed to uh, mainly to the popularity of television shows like yeah, History Channel's Ancient Aliens with my favorite weirdo with the hair, George Artukulus. And of course, uh, you know, Art Bell and Many other people that are, uh, over the years, have introduced the alien themes and topics to the world. And other people that are going to be there, which I don't want to name by name. You know who I'm talking about. The guy with the stash. Uh, Open Minds' Alejandro Rojas will also be present at the lecture this year and at the year's event. So that's good. This is some of the names that are going to be there. Check this out. Sorry, I had to cough there for a second. Uh, Stash Squatch is going to be there. Stash. Uh, Crazy Hair Georgia Tukulus is going to be there. Uh, hey, speaking of uh, people that make stuff up, Eric Van Daniken is going to be there. Stephen Greer and David Wilcock will all be there. All right. So in other words, it's going to be all fiction, folks. Well, Andrew Rojas is pretty cool. Uh, Michael Tellinger, he's actually pretty good. Uh, Jim Mars, Nick Pope, he's awesome. David Sarita. He's cool. Jason Martell, Aces. Uh, John Anthony West, uh, Linda Moulton Howe, David Jacob, and Richard Dolan is going to be there also. So uh, if you guys want to check that out, uh, make your way over to the conference. This is here. Uh, let me see. It's going to be held in August uh, August 8th through the 11th. And is at the Joshua Tree Retreat Center uh, once again. Uh, and says here, Andrews believes the conference has a broad appeal because the whole UFO question is a huge mystery to the American public. And the people want to solve that mystery. They need to know. He also believes that Joshua Tree is the perfect location to host the event because the region has a long history of reported UFO sightings. The second annual 
Contact in the Desert Conference takes place August 8th through the 11th. Like I said, for more information, please visit contactinthedesert.com, and you can also check that out on openminds.tv. Now, guys, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. Before we go to commercial break, though, there's one uh, more thing that I wanted to get to, and I'm going to play this uh, audio piece. This is from an air show. Really funny stuff, and this was reported all over the place as real UFOs. And it wasn't. Check out the uh, the article again on facebook.com forward slash Skywatchers Radio. Vancouver UFOs, uh, actually a terrestrial stunt. A pair of unidentified flying objects spotted in the skies over British Columbia have been identified, and they are absolutely from this very planet. Social media lit up on Sunday night with the video of photo videos and photos of a pair of dodging, weaving ribbons of flame in the sky over the English Bay in Vancouver. Some suggested they were UFOs, but a stunt airplane company has admitted to being the force of the unexplained lights. We're going to hit commercial breaks when we come back with Ten Peters. We'll talk about this. I'm sure it'll come up. You know, I'll ask him about, uh, you know, stuff like this in the news and what he thinks of it. And, of course, we're going to get to his book, God's Chariots, which is a really, really good book. Highly recommend everybody picks it up on Amazon. So, anyway, stick around. We'll be back on Skywatchers Radio. Time, 22, 30, 100 hours, dusk, and hanging over English Bay. I'm kind of freaked out right now. Something flying, for sure, but unexplainable to hundreds watching below. We're being attacked. Everybody hide. Do you believe in the existence of extraterrestrials? In film and fiction, Vancouver is no stranger to mysteries in the sky, but this getting real-life buzz, Twitter lighting up. At first, it looked like a plane, but then this weird thing happened. Hashtag, what is this? Invasion Earth tweeting, UFO sighting? Vancouver is a hotspot for sightings. In fact, there are more reports of UFOs here than anywhere else in Canada. And, you know, we've had many reasons to be looking up this summer. No mystery here, the moon closest to Earth this weekend created a so-called supermoon that dazzled skywatchers. And those sudden fireworks at Canada Place unannounced part of a multi-million dollar secret wedding. Hey, I'll keep an open mind. I, I'll, I'll never say never. Jim Reith has seen a thing or two in the air. The former Canadian Air Force pilot handled fighters like this. But he has his own secret now. You gonna fess up? <laughs> sure. We didn't do anything uh, do anything wrong at all. He obeyed all the rules and let all the right people know, so it was, it was perfect. Perfect when you take a look at Sunday's mystery close up. That's Alberta's Team Rocket Aerobatics, a star attraction at next month's Abbotsford Air Show. Out of this world, nighttime precision flying, enough to get some thinking. What was that? Still going. What really might be out there? Topic CTV News, Vancouver. Remember, Future Theater could be heard every Monday night at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 7 p.m. Eastern, with your host, Bill, that's me, and Nancy. I, Karumba. Burns, and we are broadcasting live right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network. Breaking the walls down. This is radio. This is what people want. To download the podcast, make sure you go to www.futuretheater.com. 
Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions, providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support, hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with a text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Green light. Hey girl, school zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! (gasps) It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text, stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Listen to Podcast UFO at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's 1 a.m. UTC GMT each Wednesday evening. We take a look at our fascinating universe in our astronomy segment. And then host Martin Willis interviews guests on topics including UFO sightings, abductions, and cover-ups. Guests are noted scientists, sighting witnesses, investigators, and skeptics, and have included Stan Friedman. Leslie Kane, Colby Landrum, Travis Walton, Dr. Seth Shostak, Robert Hastings, David Jacobs, and many more. You can even interact with our guests by joining the chat room live at podcastufo.com. So, see you this Wednesday at 9pm Eastern Standard on the Dark Matter Radio Network. And remember, in the meantime, keep your eyes to the sky. Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. This is Mark Johnson. Join me and my co-hosts, Lauren DePinto and Bruce Pearson, for our new expanded edition of Unknown Origins Radio, as each week we talk to the biggest names and newsmakers in the world of the paranormal. Fun, informative, and sometimes controversial, Unknown Origins Radio brings you the topics that you want to know about. So join us in our new time slot every Thursday evening from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here on the Dark Matter Radio Network. Roswell, UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction, 
Are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. All right, everybody, we're back on Skywatchers Radio on PSN Radio and, of course, Dark Matter Radio Network. And we got our guest of the evening uh, with us, uh, Mr. Ted Peters. But before we go in uh, and get to the uh, guest, I want to issue a quick apology uh, to Jeff Willis because there was a little confusion on the scheduling, and he's actually uh, supposed to be on next week on the show, and I had kind of confirmed by accident that he was going to be on this week. Uh, So sorry, Jeff. Uh, You know, we love Jeff Willis on the show, and he will be on with us next week here on Skywatchers Radio. So quick apologies to Jeff for the uh, confusion. But now on to the show, guys. Again, if you want to call in, 786-245-8127. And uh, please keep your calls for the last segment of the show. We have our guest, Ted Peters, on, the author of the book, UFOs, God's Chariots, Spirituality, Ancient Aliens, and Religion. Yearning in the Age of Extraterrestrials. Ted, welcome to Skywatchers Radio, my friend. How are you doing? Well, it's good to be with you, watching the sky, watching for dark matter. That's exciting. On the Dark Matter Radio Network. (laughs) (laughs) Coincidental? So how do you sky watch watch for dark matter? What kind of telescope you're looking for? Well, if you're looking for dark matter and a flying saucer appears right in front of it, then you've got real excitement, don't you? I can't wait to see that without using Photoshop. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> Do I hear a note of skepticism? Um, and I'm not a skeptic. I do believe, but when something doesn't sound right to me, I'm going to call Batsquatch. I'm going to say, please explain that or break it down for me because something doesn't sound right with it. It sounds like you like evidence, right? Um. There are some things I'll take on faith, some things I'll take on evidence. A religious man he is not, by the way, Ted. Well, yes, I am. <laughs> sure I am. Is it possible to be religious and also like evidence? I think that they can kind of go together. I agree. Now, well, religion you know, and spirituality are also two totally different things. And are we talking about organized religion when it comes to these topics as well? When I deal with Hmm. the UFO phenomenon, I'm really dealing with spiritual sensibilities, not necessarily organized religion. And I do think that uh, certain sensibilities that that simply belong to the human race and have been there in our culture for millennia actually come uh, to expression in our own day, even in uh, the secular culture. So you don't need to have an organized religion in order to think religiously or spiritually. Yeah, but the way the world is right now, seriously, the way the world is right now, you know, eons of spirituality is not translating to how people are dealing with the world around them. Well, I fear that unfortunately 
it is translating, but it's coming out in disguised form. So Vladimir Putin uh, wants to conquer foreign countries. Why? Well, he wants to defend high moral standards and the Orthodox Church of Russia. So uh, it's a very disguised form, uh, but it's uh, it's alive and well, and I think uh, it's alive and well in the UFO phenomenon as well, but it's simply disguised, camouflaged. The names have changed, but classic ancient religious desires for salvation, perfection, eternity, uh, all of these things come to expression uh, in the UFO phenomenon just uh, as it does in many other departments of secular life. All right. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, now, let's go back here, uh, you know, with UFOs and spirituality and religion. How far, how far back do you date um, the first recollection of something that can be considered UFO-based uh, in historical records when it comes to religion? Like, uh, wh- what's the furthest record that, um, I guess, you researched that you can say, you know, this could be UFOs, what they're talking about here? Well, I, I like to deal with the UFO phenomenon as a package. And I'm it's quite a big package. A, as a package, and I, <laughs> I just start with June of 1947 and work down to the mm. present time. Oh, yes, one can go back and retrieve uh, earlier accounts of things and then try to sweep it in. Uh, but there's been a consistent pattern since 1947 that really belongs to our post-World War II culture themes, such as why science is more important than politics or why is it that we human beings on Earth cannot settle our political problems and why we can't have peace on Earth? And uh, these are, I call them religious or spiritual themes that press their way all the way through the phenomenon. And so I don't just ask the question, are they real or are they just kooks, nuts, and wackos that see uh, UFOs? But I want to see... What does this represent in our culture, and why does the mystery of flying saucers take the form uh, that it does? So those who do ancient astronaut theories are actually very modern people who go back to ancient documents and ancient archaeology and reinterpret everything. So there's really nothing there in the ancient world. It's really a projection of uh, very modern people with technological minds uh, who go back uh, to the ancient world and just change everything. Ted, that's the perfect answer that I was looking for, my friend. Let me tell you, uh, because that's exactly what happens. And uh, look, uh, shows like Ancient Aliens are they're entertaining. Uh, but it's not very factual when you actually do your homework on some of the stuff they're talking about. Like, well, why do you Pichu. think they always say at the end or when they're posing a question, could it be, maybe, possibly, aliens? There's no definitive proof there. There is none. None but at then all. Again, but... but then again, there. I mean, there are things that are so totally unexplained without there being any, without there being some type of an outside intervention. I mean, some uh, some of the 
in, uh, evidence that they raise, by they we mean the so-called ancient astronaut theorists that appear right. on uh, the History 2 channel, and like you guys, I watch those shows too, they're uh, really quite uh, exciting and quite imaginative, but they'll ask, could it be aliens about things that we already have a great deal of explanatory evidence for? We do not need aliens, for example, to explain how the pyramids of Egypt were built. We know how they were built because everything... They told us! Egyptians told us! That's right! <laughs> wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. How, how we, wait a minute, what's your decision-making on how the pyramids were built? Well, oh, their schematics and stuff that they left behind. I mean, well, they, they, they left. They, in some cases, the architect and the yeah. uh, contractor and their names are <laughs> listed there, and so also the methods for their construction. And if you take a look at the history of Egyptian pyramidology for yep. a thousand-year period, you'll see the first ones were kind of small and kind of clunky actually and over the centuries they learned how to do a better job so by the time you get to the second millennium bc you know they're they're quite masterful pieces of uh, human achievement to be sure but it was a gradual step-by-step growth and it doesn't take uh, interstellar intervention to explain the construction of uh, the pyramids as marvelous as they are Hang on one second. What about the people that actually state that they have carbon dating and other evidence to prove that they, the you know, the pyramids were built much further back into history than second millennia BC? Yeah, but that still doesn't mean it's aliens, Alan. I mean, just because it was built maybe a lot, you know, further back, it doesn't mean that aliens came down. And well, did no, no, no. It. What I'm saying is, is that if you're having uh, Having um, blueprints with the architect's name on it that right. are that are from second millennia are those the people that were just refurbishing it or doing some doing some extra work on it, which is why they had the blueprints and it was built even further back. You know, still haven't been able to explain how did they lift all that stonework all the way that high. Well, there's actually explanations, but I'm sure Ted has a better answer for you than I do. Go ahead, Ted. Well, they just... (laughs) By the way, in the ancient world, prior to the era of machines, they used animals and human beings for labor. You and I are so used to just pushing buttons and having machines do our work over the last couple centuries that we forget uh, the role that slavery played. Um, oh, hold, hold, hold on, hold on. I might not be a religious person, but I'm Jewish. Don't talk. I, I know about the slavery thing because I got the whole Passover holiday every single year where we review it. <laughs> well, your ancestors actually made bricks. What do you mean it's our fault? For the it Egyptians is. out of sand and straw. And uh, that's part of the Passover too, isn't it? Actually, it doesn't say anywhere that we built the pyramids, but we did build and we were slaves and we did do things in Egypt. But in all honesty, funny as it is, there's really nowhere in the Bible where it says we did the pyramids. No, the most pyramids were constructed before the Hebrews became slaves in Egypt. Uh, Pharaoh Menes begins the whole 
uh, process, about 3,000 uh, before the Common Era, and most of the big pyramids are constructed by 1,800 or so um, uh, B.C. when uh, the Hebrews are uh, enslaved. Oh, yes, there were some pyramids uh, uh, built later, but no, we, we're we not going to credit the Hebrews for doing that. The Egyptians built lots of things. Uh, pyramids are only... Uh, some of the things that they built, but I think I think we one of the problems that I have with the ancient astronaut theorists uh, is that they're not educated when it comes to garden variety anthropology or even theories of religion and how religious symbology uh, works. Uh, one of the common themes amongst ancient human beings, which is still very much alive today, is the connection between heaven and earth. And we have that with shamans who fly to heaven and get secrets and come back. And so also uh, placing retreats on mountaintops. And if you live in an area where there are no mountaintops, what do you do? Well, you build them. So on the plain of uh, Shinar and the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, for example, the ancient Babylonians and Assyrians, they built their mountains just as the Egyptians built their pyramids. And when you go to Central America, what do you get? More pyramids. And uh, in in the case of the uh, Olmecs and the uh, Mayans and the Toltecs, uh, the top of the pyramid is where heaven and earth meet, and that's where religious rituals took place. It's not an issue of technology. It's an issue of how a culture holds itself together around uh, religious meaning. And uh, ancient astronaut theorists sort of fail to see this common human denominator as you move from culture to culture and millennium to millennium. I don't think they fail to see, they just choose not to see. Exactly. Exactly. Now, let me ask you, Ted, uh, let's go back a, a little bit here, uh, a few decades, actually. There was a, a very famous person who's passed away recently, you know, a few years ago, named Zachariah Sitchin. Oh. And Zachariah Sitchin wrote, of course, about the Anunnaki and about uh, Samaria and all that stuff. Uh, what's your thoughts on Zachariah Sitchin? Well, first of all, it's uh, it's a case that he, Zechariah Sitchin, has a large number of disciples, uh, people really like his work, etc., and I, I simply have to respect somebody who uh, does the detailed research that uh, he did. On the other hand, I cannot uh, become a disciple. He has these rather weird um, theories about the mixture of DNA, for example, hybrid and terrestrial, I'm sorry, alien and terrestrial uh, DNA, and he died uh, in the period when the Human Genome Project was going on and everybody was talking about DNA as being the essence of what makes a human being a human being and all of this kind of thing. So it appeared as though we really have some uh, good science going here, but um, the Human Genome Project uh, in the more more recent decade has filled in a lot of gaps in our earlier knowledge about the simple evolution of human DNA and how it took place. There really isn't any room in there for a shot coming from outer space. 
in order to tell the story of uh, human uh, development. So I tend not to agree with Sitchin and his disciples, and similarly with Rael and the Raelians on that particular story. Uh, Is it possible that Sitchin is right? Oh, I suppose it's plausible. But I really don't think that the evidence is in to give priority to Sitchin's explanation over those of your, you know, your garden variety population geneticists. I tend to agree one hundred percent. In fact, I, my battle started with Sitchin uh, a few years ago uh, when I started researching uh, the work of Michael Heiser. Are you familiar with his work? I do not know his work. No, uh, he's a religious scholar. He took on Sitchin. There's a website called Sitchin was wrong.com or Sitchin is wrong.com. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and he took him to task. I'm talking about he debunked him completely to the point uh, that once you watch the documentaries this man put out um, and you do your own research, which is the best part about the internet, you could go online and, you know, research it for yourself. Go to a library, do your own homework on this stuff. And once you do your own homework on the stuff that he's telling you to look at specifically, it's clear that Sitchin made up a lot. I mean, oh. like you were saying earlier, I mean, he was just making yeah. stuff up left and right. If something didn't fit, he'll change it around and rearrange the <laughs> meaning to I'll fit what he wanted. I'll this guy up then, yeah. Oh, this guy was epic, uh, Ted, epic, epic. Uh, now, Ted, let me ask you, have you yourself ever uh, interviewed any UFO witnesses or anybody claiming to be abducted? Uh, yes, I have. I uh, served for a number of years as an investigator for MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, and yep. I interviewed uh, people claiming to have had UFO experiences of all different types, and that includes abduction experiences, uh, as well, uh, and I, I did this uh, primarily before the big change in the phenomenon in the late 1980s. I did have a chance to visit uh, Charles Hickson, for example, in the Pascagoula, Mississippi uh, case of 1973, and I've done some, uh, but uh, but minimal uh, interviewing of. Um, of people who claim to be the hybrids. You were talking about David Jacobs uh, and his work earlier in the program. Uh, I haven't duplicated the kind of work that Jacobs does, but uh, I have, yes, uh, talked with people who claim to be hybrids. I'm sorry. If you claim to be a hybrid, I want a DNA test. (laughs) I also want a drug test as well, too, while you're at it, by the way. Well, when I – and uh, I appreciated, frankly, uh, the uh, skeptical tone of your uh, description of Jacobs – uh, work because um, the hybrids that my wife and I have talked to, uh, frankly, they look and behave just like us. I don't see anything right. unusual about them at all. You know, and it's funny because a lot of um, the hybrids, the uh, hybridization, the crystal children, star children, you know, all this uh, new age stuff that's come around the block in the last 20 years, Ted. Um, you know, a lot of these folks that are claiming they're, yeah, they're aliens, but uh, they're sent here uh, to be born here uh, as humans. Uh, but they're really from another galaxy. I mean, this kind of stuff is ridiculous. It really is. It, it's just it's it, it's mind-boggling that people come up with this kind of uh, nonsense. Uh, but it's amazing how so many people fall for it, and so many people are interested in this stuff, isn't it? Uh, it, it is. And what I try to do is to figure out why why it is, even if it's ridiculous, why it is right. that you want to believe this to be true. And I think there is a yearning that's been around for a couple of millennium to, a millennia to connect heaven and earth. 
And uh, also, uh, your and my egos are constructed in such a way we'd like to feel important, frankly. And uh, if you and I uh, are connected with heaven and everybody else comes around and asks us uh, to enunciate aphorisms of great wisdom, of course, we're going to feel important. And so to be a UFO abductee is actually to be a celebrity of some sort. But um, uh, I still want to press the question why uh, this form, and I suggested that from 1947 to 1987, that 40-year period, most people who were abducted reported experiences that were either benign or neutral on the one hand, or actually salvific on the other, that these extraterrestrials were coming from a more highly advanced scientific and technological civilization, and that they would bring us all the goodies that science and technology could bring, including including world peace. And there was basically, uh, to my judgment, a religious structure, a spiritual structure, uh, to the phenomenon just disguised in the language of politics and uh, science. What happens in the late 1980s, and this is where David Jacobs comes into the picture, mm-hmm. uh, is you get these negative uh, reports of abductions, uh, almost where an earthling is abused, sexually right. abused, yes. and then yep. out of that comes the hybridization uh, uh, framework, etc. And uh, one of the things I have to do in this book, UFOs, God's Chariots, is try to figure out what's the connection. Why is there a change? Uh, There's been like in, an evolution in the phenomenon. The I think the change might be that it's not the same aliens that people were dealing with. It might be well, one. I'll take care of it. <laughs> or, or maybe they elected a different president from wherever they're from. Or better story writers. And I mean, their policy changed, and, you know. That's right. Yes, maybe on Zeta II Reticuli, the Republicans did win the election. <laughs> <laughs> or, on the other hand, you know, on this world, maybe the deal that we had with them at the time didn't work out, and once Reagan was out of office, things changed. <laughs> Well, actually, my theory is a little bit more complex, and uh, people such as David Jacobs and others don't like me for this, but (laughs) I think it was due to a cultural change. And if you've got time to hear the story, I'll tell you the story. Oh, please, I I agree. I agree already. Yeah, Yeah, I agree already with the first Uh, part of that statement. So what's in common? All right. It's hypnotic regression. So if we go back to the beginning of this story, we're going back to the Betty and Barty Hill abduction case of 1961-62. And if you may remember that Benjamin Simon, who was the psychiatrist in Boston, who retrieved Betty and Barney Hill's forgotten memories, used hypnotic regression uh, in order to uh, uh, obtain that. Well, um, after that very, um, you know, uh, high, high visible case, highly visible case, mm-hmm. UFO investigators started using a hypnotic regression to retrieve uh, data about uh, abductions. And all through the 1970s then, you've got Leon, uh, Leo Sprinkle and James Harder and others who are using hypnotic regression. And then something happens in 1980. 80 that most ufologists simply ignore, 
and that is the publication of a book uh, by by a guy named Pazder called Michelle Remembers. And in this Ah. case, Pazder, the psychiatrist, uses hypnotic regression not to retrieve UFO data, but sexual abuse and satanic Mm. ritual abuse. And this book gets widely read. By 1982, we begin a new phase in our culture, and that is the prosecution, you remember this, the prosecution of uh, children's preschool and day school workers. You remember that? And uh, by the time you get to the mid-1980s, over 100 cases in the U.S., Um, are accusing day school workers of sodomy, Satanism, Mm -hmm. child abuse, etc. And what is common is the use of hypnotic regression with the children to retrieve the accounts of abuse. Uh, The most expensive court case in Los Angeles County occurred during that time, and that was the McMartin Preschool case from 1982 to 1987, Mm -hmm. uh, in which uh, the mother-daughter combo was accused of Satanism and sodomy, etc., and um, they they were said, according to the children in hypnotic regression, that underneath uh, the McMartin School was a cavernous basement where these rituals took place. Well, they, they dug down underneath, and of course there was no basement there, and uh, so the McMartins were acquitted, and... But still guilty the jury, in the public eye. The jury said they could see that the counselors using counseling techniques including hypnotic regression were leading the children so it's at this time that suddenly the ufo phenomenon changes and uh in new york we have bud hopkins we have david jacobs and uh, Whitley Strieber, a little bit later john mack who start coming out with a whole bunch of books now in which UFO abductions look like the McMartin Preschool. So it appears to me that there's simply a cultural carryover, and the common denominator in all of it are people who use hypnotic regression to retrieve uh, data of forgotten memories. That makes perfect sense. What do you think? No, that makes perfect sense. It actually no, it goes does. along. It, it goes along with the, my other theory that uh, you know about the evolution of the phenomenon itself, how it's carried over thanks to uh, you know introduction of certain themes within movies and media and stuff like that, like the Greys, for example. Why do they become the popular choice of what aliens look like? Well, <laughs> right. that has a lot to do with the movies. The movies that uh, depicted the Greys. Right, That's right. where people get that from, right? Yes, I think so. I, I can't actually date that. I do distinguish between uh, science fiction and the UFO phenomenon. I think there are only two genuinely UFO movies. That's The Day the Earth Stood Still of 1951, not the mm-hmm. second one. And uh, Close Encounters. <laughs> Nobody cares about the second one, by the way. That's right. Wants- Close Encounters <laughs> of the Third Kind, 1977. Yes. Uh, and the yeah. second one is where we get the Greys, but the Greys were actually appearing. Uh, in the 1970s, in the media for right. you know non-blockbusters here and there, but I think that Spielberg finally nailed it down for us. After 1977, it's the Greys. Right. 
<laughs> and it, you know it's funny because it remained that way uh, till now and still that way. And even uh, a very famous abduction case, uh, the the nineteen seventies case of Travis Walton, uh, which in his book he goes into detail about how he saw yeah he saw gray grayish looking aliens, but he also saw humanoid aliens, human looking aliens. Uh, and that was completely omitted from the uh, movie. They just wanted to show the gray-looking and mean aliens are doing all kinds of weird experiments on them. That's really where Hollywood has gone with this thing. Uh, and that's, I think, one of the reasons why so many people are having uh, bad abduction cases supposedly put out there. You know, and They're having all these traumatic experiences. And I think a lot of that is led on by people who are doing hypnotic, hypnosis, just like you said. I mean, that, that makes perfect sense. It ties in perfectly. You uh, interviewed Travis Walton. Did he did. Uh, report to you whether he felt that the movie about him was accurate or inaccurate on this or related points? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Let me tell you. Yeah. Uh, he was very, very animated about the fact that he dis- he completely hated the final cut of that movie. Oh, really? Uh, okay. I mean, he loves the actors who are in it. He loves the the writer, uh, Tracy yeah. Torme, uh, did a fantastic job uh, writing right. the original script. See, there's the thing that when he was uh, first contacted to make that movie, there was a script that he was already outlining with uh, Torme, and yeah. uh, they came up with a concept to write the story the way it happened, or you know his details of the story anyway, and right. that's what they put on the script. For whatever reason, once the movie started in production, the studio said, well, you know what, we're going to take off the uh, human-looking aliens, we don't want them. Uh, we're going to just go with the really mean aliens, and uh, oh, wow. there, there's not going to be any of this stuff, that stuff, this over here, just to remove all... Let's just make it really weird and creepy. In fact, even in the movie, if you watch the movie, the way he's dragged by the aliens in one of the scenes, yes. that never happened. Uh, you can see him like searching around the ship, and there's like glasses floating and things floating right. around. None of that is real. I uh, think it's time for a reboot it, it is yeah it is. I, uh, and he said that himself he said that he's I, willing I to do that trust tracy uh torme so yeah uh, did you ask uh, torme did he feel like he was betrayed then by the final cut as well or, or don't you know completely uh, like i said yeah. he wants to recut that movie and and in fact when we were when i interviewed him uh i said kind of jokingly i was like well you know uh, travis it's been so long if you get those actors again you're not going to be able to recut it properly because you know oh you'd have to start over yeah from scratch. you'd have to start from as scratch I, and he, as i said before um i i don't think that uh, the other movies, even if they have flying saucers or aliens in them, are authentic to the phenomenon. I think right. you're kind of giving evidence of that because yep. here you've got Travis Walton, who really belongs to the UFO phenomenon, and then you have yes. a Hollywood interpretation that betrays it, you know, because right. they want to sell movies. And uh, so you don't really get a sense. Uh, that UFO people, ufologists, don't think like science fiction people. They just don't. (laughs) And to me, that's one of the nice things about ufology is that uh, it is a distinct subculture, and the media partly gets it, but as in this case, it doesn't get it or doesn't want to get it. Which I think that's what it is. I I don't think it's that they don't want to get it. I think they just don't get it, period. Yeah. 
I think that's what it is. Uh, you know, I don't think that there's so much uh, they're not interested. I think they are interested. It's just they don't know what to do with the whole phenomenon. Yeah. And to be honest, to be honest with you, Ted, when they don't you know look, how to make money out of it. That's what. It no, is. they no. That's not true. They know how to make money off of it. Believe me. It, where there's a will, there's a way, and there's a will to make money off of ufology. But here's the thing: um, when you look and you sit back and you look at the overall spectrum of ufology, and this has happened to me, Ted, for the last five six years since I've been doing radio and talking about these subjects and interviewing folks like yourself and folks in the in the UFO community, uh, or ufology community, I should say. Uh, one thing becomes very apparent. Not everybody's honest. Not everybody's telling the truth. <laughs> not everybody is... Yeah. Um, not everybody is on the level with uh, not only the information, but with, uh, let's just say, not everybody is clicking on all cylinders, if you know what I'm saying. Um, that's a sad statement, but it's a very true statement. And I think that's one of the reasons why the mainstream media still kind of treats the subject kind of like a, you know, like a goofy subject because of that fact, because they know of the, the giggle factor within ufology, the, the hoaxers, uh, and we can go down the list of people who I think are hoaxers. There's a, there's a ton of them. But not only that, people that are mistaking things randomly because they just don't know any better. Uh, for example, during the 70s and 80s, for a long period of time, Ted, and I'm sure you're familiar with this, uh, many people reported UFO uh, UFO cases uh, or many UFO cases were reported, I should say. They were nothing more than misidentified objects. Uh, they were later discovered to be like the stealth bomber. You know, our own government right. aircrafts. Right. And this is stuff that people were saying, oh, no, they're definitely aliens. And I mean, how much of that stuff do you think MUFON got during the 60s and 70s and 80s? Tons. Tons, Tons of, of reports certain, like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, and I've had friends, Ted, uh, who go sky watching? Because that's what you know. I love sky watching. That's one of the the reasons why we call the show Sky Watchers Radio. Because that to me is it's a very important part of ufology. But I've had fellow sky watchers who tell me, "Yeah, man, I see UFOs all the time." Now, let's be honest. How many of us really go outside and see UFOs all the time, Ted? I mean, really? Oh yeah, I, I think. <laughs> I mean, really? Repeat reporters are yeah yeah. I agree. <laughs> There's a good really skepticism it, there. Yeah. And look, there, there's, this is funny, and I have to bring this up. There's a, a ranch, and I'm not going to name the exact one, but there's a ranch, and you guys will know what I'm talking about because we talked about this recently on another show on Future Theater. And in this ranch, Ted, they have uh, groups that come out to Skywatch uh, because supposedly the ranch, they could call on the aliens, and the aliens show up at their beck and call, right? The thing is, what people are seeing, and the, the person who I'm talking about kind of let it slip a little bit, what they're seeing are satellites, that's, oh, what they're, yes. that's what they're viewing. That's another thing that people are mistaking for UFOs. Satellites. We have thousands of satellites in, in right. space. Yeah, well, the UFO phenomenon is uh, is a big industry. And it is. And it's multi-layered, and there are a number of different vested interest groups. I don't mean that in a financial way, but in a kind of ideological way. Uh, I think the core, and uh, perhaps this is my own selection, the core of, say, MUFON uh, are, uh, is made up of a group of people who have a scientific mindset. So mm. they get a variety of reports. They want to investigate. They want to eliminate the IFOs, the identifiable uh, flying objects, and uh, get to that core that could be extraterrestrial. And some of them have PhDs in science, so their uh, scientific approach is not at all uh, unusual to them. But at the same time, uh, there are lots of others who show up 
who have quite uh, different agendas. I was at the UFO Congress in Scottsdale a couple months ago, and I met two or three reincarnation therapists and a couple <laughs> shamans. And one, uh, one shaman, a woman, very delightful woman, told me, well, she really likes these UFO meetings because there could be a wide variety of points of view and nobody's ever critical of somebody else. <laughs> I thought, well, there's something kind of sweet about that. But it also tells you that the UFO phenomenon is sort of a bag of marbles, you know. There's really uh, quite, a, quite a variety of things uh, in there. And uh, for my uh, book, I tend to uh, focus on this sort of core group, those who think of themselves as scientific, those who want to uh, show on the basis of evidence that in fact Earth is being visited by extraterrestrials and this is the group I find most interesting and probably the group that my mind sort of dovetails with. I have, don't feel any need for reincarnation therapy, and uh, <laughs> but I do, I do like the kind of UFO investigators I do. Do you, at the end of the day, do you think that the Earth is, is being visited on a regular basis? Do you think that's actually happening? I am not uh, convinced that that is, in fact, the case. And it's not that we lack evidence. It's that we have too much evidence, and the evidence is not internally coherent is the problem. And I uh, sympathize with Stanton Friedman and others who want to say, look, there's really good evidence that we are being visited by extraterrestrials. But then you've got all kinds of stuff that's part of the UFO phenomenon that doesn't fit. Uh, I saw a movie one time um, taken by a farmer uh, out in uh, the field. He just plowed it and planted and everything and was kind of being proud of himself. So he's just taking a uh, taking a film and uh -huh. this uh, classic circular flying saucer comes into the horizon you think oh here we've got a spacecraft and there are probably passengers in there from zeta 2 reticuli or something well then uh suddenly uh this uh, flying saucer starts to stretch out like bubble gum you know and you get the thin thing in the middle and then pop and then suddenly you've got Two flying saucers now, the same size as the first one, and they fly away in separate directions. Well, I want to say that doesn't look like a craft carrying passengers. It's no. something else. So um, here it is, and it's very much a part of the phenomenon, but it doesn't fit the extraterrestrial hypothesis model of craft visiting us. So I think there's a lot going on here, and I... Even if I would hope the extraterrestrial hypothesis would be the case, um, boy, that just doesn't account for all the kind of uh, data that we've got to got to deal with to explain. No, I, I completely agree. Uh, it, you know, a lot of the data, though. I mean, how much uh, do you think is even um, really good data at this point with the way CGI and stuff? Because I mean, it really, uh, any video that comes out is kind of like hokey at this point. I mean, can we take anything serious at this point with all the CGI I, I've stuff? I've never seen a 
a video in which I have a lot of confidence. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some of the early photos, like the Trent photos mm-hmm. uh, from Oregon, uh, did pass all the tests. Even the even the Condon report stated that those were authentic. So uh, there are, there is some reliable data there. Uh, but no, you can't believe just everything that appears on YouTube. That's for sure. <laughs> no kidding. Now, how long have you been interested in the whole flying saucer phenomenon? Well, unfortunately, I started as a kid. My mother and father were uh, avid readers in the early days of the genre of UFO uh, literature, and they actually went to hear uh, UFO speakers such as uh, George Adamski and others, and they would come home and talk, and I would read their books and stuff. So already in the seventh grade, <laughs> wow, <laughs> I was the local neighborhood expert on flying saucers. So I never gave it up. Have you become more skeptical over the years since you've yes, been uh, doing all this yes, research? Definitely the, you have, right? For the reason I gave you is yeah. that uh, there is just so much going on. Yep. Uh, and you can't put it all together into a single package. And we have not, despite, what, 60-plus years, you can't really point to something and say, you know what, this answers the question definitively. Uh, it, it's not there. Yeah, no kidding. You know, Area 51 was officially declared to be a real facility by the government recently. They officially announced it exists. Of course, we've known it exists since, you know, forever now. Um, do you think there's anything going on in there, extraterrestrial, or do you think it's just all smoke screens and smoking mirrors? Oh, it's gone by now. Whatever was there, I think they moved. I uh, like uh, the the story that you told earlier about the tourists. Uh, mm. My wife and I have gone right up to the no trespassing sign, and we looked over, and uh, <laughs> oh, it was all very exciting. Uh, there's um, no question that Area 51 has been around since perhaps 1955 right. uh, as a test site for um, ex- uh, weapons, U2, among uh, other weapons. So the existence and the history of Area 51 in itself doesn't tell us anything about UFOs. So if there was a crashed UFO, would it have gone to Area 51? More than likely, uh, it it would have gone to Area 51. Now, uh, there's a museum in Las Vegas, which I've not visited yet, and uh, but I I plan on it. It's uh, the history of atomic weapons. And there's an Area 51 exhibit, so it's going to become part huh. of our uh, part of our uh, public knowledge, I think, uh, in the next months. Oh, that's that's cool. I have to check that. I've never uh, I never heard of that place in Vegas the museum. It's it's actually I think a branch of the Smithsonian. Oh, nice! I'm going to have to look into that. Yeah. I'm sorry, oh, I don't Smithsonian have more. Smithsonian doesn't hide any. By the way, I got to admit or got to comment, but the Smithsonian has never been known to hide actual facts about history. Is that correct? I have no way of confirming or disconfirming that. I have no clue, Alan. None. Sorry, <laughs> I was I was reading. That's an article. a Google question. If anybody knows, please uh, Google it up and let us know. Call in. I was reading an article no uh, this past week about uh, the Smithsonian co- possibly covering up. Uh, ancient Egyptian artifacts in the Grand Canyon that had some serious legitimacy to it. And um, 
I'm just wondering if anybody has ever heard about that or commented on it or know anything nope. about it. Nope. Not no with idea. me, sorry. <laughs> no idea. Uh, Ted, going back into uh, into religious aspects here with ufology, and we're going to hit a break in a few minutes, by the way, but uh, I wanted to ask you real quick. You know, the Vatican has, I, I think it was like, I, last I, uh, I heard it was like maybe like five miles worth of data records uh, sealed in their vaults, you know, like the, the stuff that nobody's ever seen. Um, do you think there's stuff in there that deals at all with the alien phenomenon or because um, I look, I am a believer that we have been visited in the past at some point. Don't believe all the ancient astronaut stuff. I think a lot of that is is bogus, and I, I don't believe Zachariah Sitchin. But I do think there's a, a case for maybe we've been visited at some point. Do you think there's anything the Vatican might know? Because recently, the Vatican, uh, not long ago, uh, did say that you know aliens are part of God's plan, and they're coming uh, really close to uh, saying that aliens uh, are real. Well, I know some things about the Vatican, but uh, not uh, everything. I uh, worked from 1987 to 2002 during the pontificate of John Paul II with the Vatican Mm -hmm. Observatory, and uh, John Paul II was very interested in the interaction between science and faith, and so I had a chance to meet him on uh, a few occasions. And uh, the Vatican Observatory has been around uh, since a few generations after Galileo. I mean, after all, they got to take Galileo's uh, telescope and search the skies. And since the Second World War, the Vatican Observatory is engaged in a considerable amount of serious scientific research on galaxy formation and related uh, projects, and the topic of extraterrestrial intelligence is an everyday conversation. I mean, it's just normal. Um, The uh, Pope Francis I, about three weeks ago, uh, gave a homily uh, within the Vatican in which he used as an illustration, what if a flying saucer were to land and a Martian gets out, and asked to be baptized, would we baptize the Martian? Well, uh, Francis I, uh, who has a Ph.D. in chemistry, by the way, um, uh, likes science, but this was part of his sense of humor because he's been working since his pontificate began to expand the horizon of Catholic believers. And about a year ago, he said, should atheists... Uh, who have high, high, high-minded morality become partners with Catholics and making the world a better place? Yes, indeed. So I think of what he said about um, aliens or Martians uh, fits that. Be that as it may, uh, if you want to have a good conversation about this, talk with one of those uh, Jesuits who's uh, an astronomer for the Vatican Observatory. They've got a lot to say, and I don't know what they would say then about documents that are locked up and sealed and hidden. I'll bet you even Francis I has not read them. Probably not. And that's crazy, uh, five miles worth of documents. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine what's the, what some of the stuff that's in there? I mean, geez. Crazy, crazy amount of documents in there. Uh, listen, we're about to hit a commercial break, everybody. When we come back, uh, we are going to have open lines. I want uh, anybody who wants to call in, please do so. Uh, 786-245-8127 is the call-in number. Please call in and uh, ask Ted any questions you have. Uh, Ted, this is a really fascinating uh, conversation we're having, and uh, thank you so much for being on here with us tonight, and uh, hopefully we have some good questions for you from the well, audience. Well, I'm enjoying it. Guys, stick around. We're going to be right back on Skywatchers Radio.
Hi, this is Kayla Ambrose, and I'm your travel guide to the other side. I'm inviting you to join me on the Explore Your Spirit with Kayla show. Each week on the show, I serve as your travel companion as we explore the concept of many paths and one destination, bringing you enlightening and inspiring interviews with world-renowned authors, artists, teachers, and researchers, delving into metaphysical, supernatural, and paranormal topics, as well as new discoveries in the scientific and spiritual arenas. Join me here as we explore the mysteries of the universe, rediscover the magic in the world around you, and reawaken your spirituality. It's the shows you want, when and where you want to listen to them, all on the Explore Your Spirit with Kayla show. See you there. Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with Key Information Solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let Key Information Solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954-973-3374 That's 954-973-3374 Or visit keyinformation.com Hi, I'm LeVar Burton and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! (gasps) It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Solaris Blue Raven with Hyperspace on Dark Matter Radio. Tune in on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for an intriguing show pertaining to covert technology, UFOs, paranormal, mysticism, and spirituality. Listen to Podcast UFO at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's 1 a.m. UTC GMT each Wednesday evening. We take a look at our fascinating universe in our astronomy segment. And then host Martin Willis interviews guests on topics including UFO sightings, abductions, and cover-ups. Guests are noted scientists, sighting witnesses, investigators, and skeptics, and have included Stan Friedman, 
Newman, Leslie Kane, Colby Landrum, Travis Walton, Dr. Seth Shostak, Robert Hastings, David Jacobs, and many more. You can even interact with our guests by joining the chat room live at podcastufo.com. So, see you this Wednesday at 9pm Eastern Standard on the Dark Matter Radio Network. And remember, in the meantime, keep your eyes to the sky. Hello, my name is Howard Hughes, and I'm in London, and I've been proud to bear this name all my life. Over here in the UK, I'm known as a broadcast journalist. I've been involved in some of the big stories of our time. The fall of the Berlin Wall. The death of Princess Diana. I told London about that. And on the first and second anniversaries of 9-11, I was there at Ground Zero, speaking to the people who were directly involved and those experiences I will never forget. So news is my thing. But my great love is my show, the one that I produce, The Unexplained. Over the years on this show, I've spoken to people like the late Al Bielik from the Philadelphia Experiment, Edgar Mitchell, the amazing Apollo astronaut, Dr. Stephen Greer, David Icke, and Uri Geller. People like Richard C. Hoagland have become personal friends over the years. I met him in London. So you can see that these sort of topics are what I like to discuss. Please join me on my show from London. The Unexplained, Monday nights on the Dark Matter Network. All right, everybody, we're back on the Dark Matter Radio Network and on PSN Radio. This is Skywatchers Radio with our guest of the evening, the author of the book UFOs, God's Chariots, Mr. Ted Peters, and we, we're having a really, really fascinating conversation with him. He has answered just about every question as perfectly as I would expect after reading this book, um, as perfectly as I think anybody could answer some of these questions, because to be honest, uh, Ted, it, it, by the way, it's very refreshing to have somebody out here say uh, what you've been saying uh, you know, the entire hour you've been on, uh, just to hear somebody actually, uh, logically think about this stuff and, and not just believe all the nonsense that's out there. It's just, a a breath of fresh air to be, to be honest with you. And if you guys listening, want to get in on the conversation, please do so. 786-245-8127 is the call in number. I'd love to hear from you. And I'm sure Ted would love to hear from you also. And by the way, you can also find us on Skype by looking up PSN Radio. So there's a lot of ways to get to us and find us on the show and ask us questions. We are taking your questions in chat room also. If you guys want to go there, psn-radio.com has a chat room. You'll see the link right on there. Check out the chat room. Ask away. We'll answer your your questions. Uh, back to Ted now and back to this book. Ted, I wanted to ask you real quick because this is something that's come up um, you know, a lot um, not only not really so much on this show, but other other shows that I uh, that I've done, and I wanted to uh, get your opinion on it. Um, do you really think, and honestly, uh, in your heart of hearts, do you think that NASA and uh, and SETI and scientists like that takes the UFO phenomenon at all serious? Well, uh, before I answer that, let me thank you for using the word perfect so frequently my <laughs> my wife Karen is listening to the show and uh, it wouldn't hurt for her to her to hear that yeah well actually um i don't have to conjecture i know a fair number of research scientists at both nasa and seti and apart from a few individuals here and there by and large it's clear they do not take the ufo phenomenon seriously at 
all. Mm-hmm. Uh, they tend even to shun uh, people who are involved with UF- ufology. And one of uh, my concerns has been, I don't think that's necessary, because as I mentioned, there are a number of people in MUFON and other UFO investigators who think of themselves, really, as being quite uh, scientific, but uh, your SETI and your NASA people um, think of themselves as having a patent on science. So in the summer when they have their barbecues, um, you know, the NASA and SETI people, they have their barbecue, and the UFO people, they have their barbecue, but they don't invite each other. And I just think that's where we are, and I do think that in the future, eh, maybe they should invite each other, and I'd like to go to both. <laughs> how, how much of that do you think is by design uh, because they just want to not associate themselves with the UFO community? Or how much of that do you think is uh, by the UFO community not wanting to involve themselves with NASA so there a lot of the hoaxers are not found out to be hoaxers? You know, and maybe they're deliberately uh, it, it staying away. It is the case that a number of the scientists in SETI and NASA are aware of hoaxes and just right. plain hokiness and craziness, and they just don't want to be associated with it. And it's also the case, believe it or not, that a lot of funders uh, want to think of themselves as being very serious about science. And so the greater the distance uh, between NASA and SETI uh, from uh, the UFO phenomenon, actually, the better it is uh, for funding. But I don't want to reduce it to that. Uh, there is some humor, and Stan Friedman usually is able to formulate this. He'll say, those SETI and NASA scientists think that every planet in the Milky Way is inhabited by intelligent creatures, but they're not visiting here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, that's a great rhetorical device, uh, but, um, uh, you know, there, there is a little bit of uh, nuts de cuckoo uh, stuff going on, but I'm concerned about method, you know, about assessment of evidence, about trying to get clear on what we know versus what we don't know, and there is a scientific, an authentic scientific mindset within the UFO phenomenon that should be just very much at home with SETI people and NASA people who are committed to the same principles for gaining knowledge. Huh. I, I, I You know, I'm dumbfounded by SETI uh, over the years uh, by the fact that they've uh, spent so much money researching uh, the skies and they've still not hit on any signal at all. It's amazing, it, isn't it? it is. Well, NASA just made a statement the other that, day. Right? Uh, Angel, I don't know if you saw the link that I sent you, but NASA made a statement clear as day the other day saying that they expect to find intelligent life within the next 20 years. That's interesting. Did you see the link that I sent you earlier? Uh, no, I, I didn't have a chance. I was dealing with your technical issues, Alan. Sorry. Ah, okay, fine. Rub it yeah, in. Yeah. Ted, well, have, you, have you researched or heard about that? There, there is no way that an estimate like that uh, can make any empirical sense. I mean, uh, and I'm not critical of SETI. I, I love SETI, and I love the scientists. No, this was NASA itself. Not oh, this SETI. was NASA. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. And you but, want to know uh, something? I, I, I'm skeptical as well, unless they already have the answer and they're going to wait down yes. to tell. <laughs> uh, no, that's not the case, uh, at least not with SETI. 
Uh, SETI actually has a plan of information dissemination uh, all in place uh, should uh, the big day come right. when, they, when they get contact. I don't really know what uh, NASA thinks about this, but right now all we have, uh, by that I mean we as NASA and SETI, are big numbers. I mean lots of stars, lots of planets, some of which are in the habitable zone. Uh, there is zero empirical evidence for even microbial life in our solar system, let alone intelligent life elsewhere uh, in the Milky Way. So the movement from no knowledge to knowledge simply cannot be predicted, uh, even though everyone is excited, rightly excited, that our knowledge about exoplanets is increasing almost daily. I'm excited about it. It is exciting, but uh, you know it's exciting to to hear them talk about it. But again, uh, they never. I mean, look. Whether it's twenty years or hundred years, I'm still. I hope I'm alive to be able to see them actually say they found something. But I think the first thing they're going to acknowledge is just microbial life of that. And Alan, I don't think that's too far away because I think there's probably already evidence on Mars of microbial. Well, actually, you're right about the Mars thing because uh, they actually there's a discrepancy in the Mars research. uh, that I was looking into actually the other week. Um, it turns out that um, there are two discrepancies. Um, with the soil samples that were taken on Mars uh, when the rover landed, um, scientists had said that there needs to be at least 300 parts per million of organic matter or bacterial matter to say there's life on Mars. The okay. whole funny part was is that they didn't find it they when they did the soil samples, there was at least thirty parts per million where they took the sa- uh, where they took the sample, not three hundred parts per million and that's only one sample that they took, and they haven't disclosed any other samples right then there's always that how long will they hold like you said I mean they might already know how long will they hold that evidence eventually yeah. yeah. It, I don't know. How that's, well do we trust them? That's the big question. How well do we trust them? You know, NASA's uh, acronym, uh, NASA, for a long time, the running joke has been that it stands for never a straight answer. <laughs> and it's really become, you know, more than just a joke. It really is that. I mean, you never get a straight answer from these folks. It's always, you know, well, maybe this, maybe that. But, uh, you know, I, I hope I'm alive, Ted, to see them, you know, finally come out and say, you know what? Well. Darn it, we found aliens, or we found microbial life. You know, I'm dying for that. I'm with you on that one. Uh, If you read the science journals, which I do quite regularly, one of the jokes is the discovery of water on Mars, because Mm. every couple months they announce they've finally discovered water on Mars. (laughs) Well, they haven't, actually. Uh, The theory is there was once water on Mars. Right. uh, Well, there's uh, ice at the pole. Is that not water? There's ice at the polar caps of Mars. Are you telling me that's not water? Well, Ted? <laughs> well, that, that's not even a pun, is it? Um, as far as I know, they haven't actually <laughs> dug into the ice. So, and uh, yeah. there is another theory, as yet uh, unexplored, that there's water subsurface, and what they want to do is drill down deep enough in order to find that water and if they do find water could it be filled with microbial life so 
for your Mars experts, uh, it seems to be like tomorrow or the day after or the day after that. Um, the day or, after tomorrow. Maybe. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know it's funny though because Alan makes a good point though. There is, uh, you know, there is ice on the ca- on the polar caps of, of Mars. Uh, it's scattered. It's not you know all over the place. But there have been images that show ice formations on the on the polar caps. Now, and they recede uh, and expand actually depending the seasons, on the seasons. Right. Uh, but here's here's the thing: how much you know? Uh, how frustrating is it for for everybody like us who are into this, these subjects uh, to see them constantly land in places that are completely far away from uh, the polar caps, where maybe there they could find the water. Why are they going in parts of Mars where they know there's nothing but desert? That now, that's an excellent me. question. You're a taxpayer. If I were you, I yeah. would just, you I'm know, mad about that. and tell them to land on a polar cap. I, you that's know, a good idea. I like I mean, that. That would, an- that would answer the question. Is yeah. there ice? Is there is there water? Well, let's land where there might be some. Because, you know, <laughs> the pictures are saying there's ice there during the seasons. Well, let's go there and find out. Yeah, Makes yeah. sense, right? Now, Ted, I don't know how much of Mars you've seen over the years of uh, leaked images and stuff like that. But um, there's even areas of Mars that showed, like, vegetation on some images. Have you seen any of that stuff? Oh, yeah. That's Skip site, right? That's one of them, yeah. MarsAnomalies.com. I have, I have not. Mm-hmm. I I have a colleague uh, at NASA with whom I'm in continuing conversation. Uh, his name is Chris McKay, and his oh, I his, know his, yeah, he's uh, he's a, a Mars expert. And I, whenever I need a little Mars fix, I say, "Hey, Chris, you know what's up?" <laughs> uh, let me just say those kinds of conversations I never hear. So um, I, uh, my suspicion is is that. Um, uh, we probably still have yet to find concrete evidence for the first time of microbial life on Mars. I don't think it's in and oh, I have never heard a credible scientist say that vegetation already exists there. No, no, no scientist will touch it. I mean, these are images that will leak on the... But again, it's the Internet, so how much of it is credible? Oh, but right, right, right. Yeah, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, there's stuff that we have to look at anyway and, and you know, dissect it. And I've seen some images, uh, you know, like the glass tunnels or the glass tubes on Mars. That's very interesting stuff. Um, and that's been officially uh, put out there by NASA. That's not like something that somebody just well, put out there. Well, there, there are plans more in the private sector than by NASA... Mm-hmm. to colonize Mars and right. do have uh, designs for what the uh, the first colonies will uh, look like. And right. there's a NASA-sponsored uh, laboratory in the desert of Arizona called Biosphere uh, in which the bubble uh, that would be transferred first to the moon and then uh, secondly to Mars is there. Uh, it's an ecologically uh, internal, internally complete uh, life uh, ecology there to support it's a full ecosystem uh, the humanoids. Now. Yeah, and so those uh, th- that kind of research is just continuing. And uh, yes, if we once we land on the moon and land on Mars, we'll drop down our bubble, our biosphere, and the human beings will live inside there until they can uh, emigrate out. Now the Mars One mission, uh, of course, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with. It. I don't know if you're, that's where you're going with. But the Mars One mission, they had like what two hundred thousand people sign up for this thing at one point. Oh yes, for a one-way trip. How crazy is that, Ted? If I mean, only think I about could it. Get my mother-in-law to sign up. <laughs> 
Don't <laughs> <laughs> oh, we all wish that? Ted. That's Actually, just yeah, so wrong. It's funny. Mother laws. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, how crazy is that? I mean, look, we were talking about earlier about how the media uh, in movies and stuff has made this well, stuff mainstream. I, I think I think we need to ask again about human nature because. Um, even though I don't know the Mars One people, I do know the Mars Society people. Mm. And they have a strong sense of manifest destiny. In fact, they even use that term, and they even use the term Promethean. So they want to define human nature as being driven uh, by a forced to explore and go new places and just as Europe wanted to expand uh, to the new world so also does the human race want to expand to the other planets and so the Mars Society collects this kind of enthusiastic exploratory people Uh, so there's an issue of the human spirit here and I think we all recognize it. It's usually you don't find a whole room full of people believing in manifest destiny, but the Mars Society gets them all together in the hundreds. <laughs> uh, it, it's amazing, I, yeah. So, so I can understand why you would have that many people sign up. I, I genuinely do. I don't want to make that trip, but I can understand why <laughs> others would. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a one way trip, but let's just say uh, it's a one way trip. But you're not even guaranteed that you're going to make it to Mars because you never know what could happen uh, from here to Mars. I mean, we've never traveled that well, far in space. The one of the uh, uh, with people. interesting phenomena. Let's get back to human nature in the biosphere experiments they've actually uh, tried to put human beings in the biosphere and keep them there for a year because it's going to take you know a year by the time they leave earth and they get established on mars right and you know what they couldn't last more than six months they were going to kill each other <laughs> they had to pull them out yeah um you can't coop six people in, in, in the case of the Biosphere 2 experiment. Are, are you kidding me? I mean, human beings, and they were going to kill each other. They demanded to get out of there. And so there's something about human nature uh, that we are really risking a lot by putting, you know, two, four, six people on a spaceship. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Nobody will be alive when they get there. <laughs> you would expect that, that you know science or these people would have learned from like the real world uh, the TV show. Yeah. You know, don't put people in a group, <laughs> Big Brother. You know, the TV show. Don't put people in a group and expect them to get along because it's just yeah. we're humans. You know, we find flaws in each other and we just we argue. That's what we do. Oh, yeah, nitpick and uh, <laughs> gossip. <laughs> I talked to a husband and wife who were who are members of this team. You know, that the the six in Biosphere Two, and after six months they. Had to be yanked out, and it wasn't that they didn't love each other or anything like that. You just can't stand living together. Like who who would want to go anyway on a trip like this with uh, with your wife? Uh, and be there for the rest of your lives. What if it doesn't work out, and you, you know you do break up, and now you're well, even if stuck you on Mars a together? Girlfriend, you know, it would only last a week, right? Right. I mean, <laughs> that can't be good. Uh, and can we even make that kind of travel? Uh, I mean, the human body could it really uh, travel from here to Mars and be okay? I mean, I, well, I don't know if it we can will not space be travel. okay. I think we have to accept fact that with the change in gravity mm-hmm. that the human body will change and if yes. we don't come back it's going to change permanently not yep. only for the generation that makes the trip but for any future generations that are 
born there, and our bodies will not look on Mars like they look here because gravity is a is a factor in uh, why we look the way we do. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, I guess I don't know if they'll get smaller or taller on Mars because gravity is less there. So I taller, think right? we'd get taller. Carl right. Sagan once uh, once speculated, and uh, it stuck in my imagination that if you were to have intelligent creatures on a planet with a high uh, high level of gravity, they'd look like turtles. <laughs> Whoa, wow. that makes sense, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, why do we have turtles what? on this planet? I mean... Yeah, what are they doing? <laughs> yeah, what are they doing here? Yeah. That's, what, that's what's beautiful about this planet. We have, like, they, such a, a diverse amount of, like, animals and creatures, yeah, and it I, just makes no sense what we're, what we're I doing I think here. those turtles are actually aliens from Jupiter. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, listen, hey, Michael, hey, those Ninja Turtles, I'm Michael you. Bay got into a lot of trouble for saying that the turtles were from space. <laughs> so let's, you know, let's uh, not go there because people were angry, Ted. People were mad, and Michael Bay almost oh. lost everything because of one mistake. Right. Uh, now, let me ask you, do you, um, do you think uh, that NASA, or well, not even NASA, but do you think or, or do you talk about uh, the ETI myth uh, at all and how the scientists believe in, in that myth? Or do scientists believe in the ETI myth, do you think? Um, yes, I do. And my science friends don't like me to talk uh, this way. So maybe one of them will call me up and say some nasty things. But um, <laughs> uh, a myth is, uh, is, first of all, a framework through which we interpret data. Right. And then, secondly, it can also be a story of origin and that's what we have in the case of SETI and the myth looks like this um, that um, there is such a thing as cosmic evolution now Charles Darwin gave us a theory of biological evolution which did not include the origin of life it only included uh, how you change from one species to another to another, hence the book was right. called Origin of Species. It was not called right. Origin of Life. But um, so non-scientifically, you can say, well, non-life evolves into life. Okay, I just want to say no empirical evidence for that whatsoever. However, mm-hmm. it's part of the ETI myth. So on another planet now, abiotic chemistry evolves into life, and then it gets more and more complicated over time and over time we get to intelligence and from intelligence uh, we get to stupid people who believe in religion and then as the as <laughs> and then we're here we evolve, we evolve further <laughs> then we get to smart people who believe in science and technology and and here's the tip off about the myth <clears throat> is it's commonly said amongst both SETI and ufology people that if a civilization has evolved longer than it does here on earth it is more advanced it has progressed more and ergo its science and technology is more advanced than ours and ergo it has solved many of the problems we are unable to solve ergo if they contact us they will drop from the sky blessings on top of (laughs) blessings from their science and technology and who on earth better than anybody else to make this 
contact than the most highly evolved, most highly progressed people on Earth, namely the scientists in their white coats. And um, so it's a very self-serving myth, and it goes way beyond scientific evidence. Our most renowned evolutionary biologist, I'm thinking here of Francisco Ayala, Ernst Mayer, Stephen Jay Gould, all agree there is no such thing as progress in evolution. <laughs> there is no guarantee um, that uh, no matter how many million years you have uh, evolution going on, that it's going to move towards intelligence, let alone such things right. as uh, science and technology. And so uh, the ETI myth does not even have the best of our evolutionary biologists giving it support yet. Um, this is the myth uh, that justifies the very research that SETI um, is able to pursue. And uh, last October, I had a chance to talk with SETI. There were about 90 scientists in the room, and I started talking about the assumptions of their research in mythical terms. And oh my goodness, a number of them really took uh, umbrage because they see themselves as scientists and not. Right. In Anyway, mythological. And uh, one guy with the big smirk on his face said, um, well, we have to tell myths. That's the way we get our funding. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know, and it, I have a funny story that correlates to that, by the way, Ted. Um, yeah. When I first got started with the whole ufology thing, and I started doing a radio program four years ago, five years ago, um, I had a person, I don't want to name this name because I don't want to put them on there like that because they're actually real nice. Uh, but there was a, a lady who told me, you know, what do you want to do in ufology? What What are your aspirations to, you know, in this radio stuff? And I said, oh, you know, to, you know, not debunk, but, you know, to get to the bottom of things and maybe learn the truth and, you know, talk to individuals who have experienced stuff. And, and she was like, well, that's great and dandy, but you're not ever going to make a name for yourself unless you do something beyond the normal. And I'm like, well, uh, you know, short of being abducted, there's really nothing else I could do. <laughs> right. I could go to the field with signs and see if somebody comes and takes me, but it's probably not going to happen. But she goes, no, what you need to do is you need to come up with a good storyline, yeah. uh, you know, and just uh, sell it, write a couple books, put it out out there do the tours do the lectures go around you know <laughs> develop your story over years and make a name for yourself and this is the way you get into ufology and i said to myself so in other words i got to create a myth create a story sell books uh and, and the same thing said he does they have to create a myth you know sell a fantasy to get their funding and right. that's what a lot of people in ufology do they create a myth create a, a, a fantasy to sell their books so they can make a living and one correlation i see in ted i don't know if you're if you've seen this yourself but especially in ufology and i can name a couple of names but uh i don't i don't want to do that but there's a, a lot of folks in ufology that are failed musicians have you noticed this where they they oh. filled in, in music <laughs> uh -huh. they jump into ufology for whatever reason right, right. Uh, they they start to hit it off with the, with the people who believe their stuff. Uh, some of them are claiming to be Edgar Casey, for example, in a past life. Who, you know, who am I talking about here? And uh, you know, they create such a big buzz. Next thing you know, they're telling the world, "Oh, by the way, we we're musicians. Yeah, yeah, we we just we we sucked at it and we made no money, so now we're here. Listen to our records, and they start promoting their records like you know, like they're the next Beatles, for example. And then people who already are believers in in their nonsense or or following them are now looking at their music and they're like, "Well, this is really catchy. It must be good because you know he's promoted it and we like him." And you know that's another avenue I think that people are, are using ufology for to kind of uh, give themselves a name so they can then sell their other products, which would be some a lot of them is music, which is. Yeah, well, I'm going to 
write a UFO song now. You've inspired me. <laughs> <laughs> That's just well, so wrong. Actually, I'd like to offer two comments about that. And I think the first one is I don't think there's a lot of money in ufology. As I mentioned, I had interviewed Charles Hickson of the Pascagoula, Mississippi event, and there was a period in which Hickson and Parker were worldwide uh, no household names. You know, everybody knew of Hickson and Parker and blah, blah, blah. And um, a, a ghostwriter helped Charlie Hickson write a book. And I was in communication with Charlie Hickson for a number of years, he was really disappointed that he didn't make any money. He thought there was gold there, but you know what? There wasn't any gold there. Well, how long ago was this, though, Ted? Oh, well, this would be, uh, say, for uh, the incident was 73, so he was probably trying to milk it for profit in the early 1980s, maybe. There was no money in that period. Now, tons of money. Not, well, maybe there is, maybe there is. But the second thing is that um, I want to say with regard to SETI scientists and to a lesser extent NASA scientists, I genuinely think they do good science. So if I suggest that there are some mythical uh, dimensions to the set of assumptions with which they take to their research, um, I don't want to say that their science is faulty because of it. I, I just want to say they probably think more highly of themselves than they should, <laughs> but um, I'm still uh, glad that, you know, as the years go by, they give us more and more valuable data about what's going on in the universe, and even if they never make contact with an intelligent civilization, they will help us know more about the universe. So, um, uh I, I don't want to say that just because there are some mythological components that the science is uh, bad, but I do want to say the public ought not to believe everything the scientist right. says. That's all. <laughs> well, a lot of the SETI stuff is kind of bad because they're still looking in spectrums uh, that you know we use. Like you know, aliens are going to use radio signals, right? I mean, aliens are evolved supposedly. Uh, if they're much more evolved. They're not using the same kind of stuff that we you know that we use. It's just not happening. Yeah, some of the critics uh, make that point. Um, I think in defense of SETI, um, you might say, well, what else are we going to do? <laughs> yeah. Listen, I'm, unfortunately, <laughs> and, uh, we're, we're yeah, almost out of... As as no, go ahead. And listening for radio signals is as good as any option, you know. Well, yeah, if you want to hear a good broadcast like this one. <laughs> well, I would radio. honestly I, think if Roswell, you know, if if we did retrieve the crash uh, ship from Roswell, we would have been able to figure out what type of way they have communication th- communicating through the stars. Not, ne- not necessarily. We might not even know how that thing works still today. Um, alien technology is alien technology, you know what I mean? Unfortunately, though, we're all out of time, uh, Ted, and uh, we have to say goodnight for the evening. Uh, I want to give you a chance uh, to tell everybody how to get to you. Uh, give them your link. I know they can find the book, uh, UFOs, God's Chariots, on Amazon. Uh, please, everybody, get this book. It's a really, really good read. Highly recommended. Uh, it's by New Page, and uh, it's a, a great, great uh, book. But tell everybody your website address, Ted, so everybody can go follow. Yeah, it. UFOs, God's Chariots is the book. My website is tedstimelytake.com, and you can buy the book 
on the website or go directly to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or what have you. But my larger field of interest is the relationship between science and religion. And so if you go to tedstimelytake.com, well, you'll see lots of other goodies there as well. So it's been great talking to you guys. Ted, has hey, been, a, it's been an honor. Thank you so much for being here with us, uh, Ted, and, uh, and uh, taking part on the show. Uh, sorry we couldn't get any calls uh, for you, which is weird on Dark Matter Radio. I don't understand what's going on with Dark Matter Radio people. So many people listening, they just they just sit back and listen. They don't participate. Nobody wants to talk to you. I think it's uh, my overpowering voice, Alan. Anyway, guys, we're going to be back next week with Jeff Willis on the show, so please come back and uh, see us, or listen to us, I should say, next week on Skywatchers Radio. Real quick, I want to give a very special shout-out to Raven Zeon and uh, the Zodiac Sun. This is a band uh, that whose music we play a lot on the show. In fact, we're going to start playing it now as we go off air. And uh, check out their website. Really, really cool music. Every uh, song they, these guys put on is uh, always top-notch stuff. Uh, check out their website over on, uh, and I'm going to get you the exact link here, and he sent it to me, and I should have it prepared, but I don't, as usual. Facebook.com forward slash the Zodiac Sun. Check them out, and you can find their stuff on uh, skywatchersradio.com also. For uh, our uh, for our colleague, uh, Keith Rowland, for uh, Alan, the uh, co-host here. Uh, but uh, guys, uh, come back next week here on Dark Matter Radio Network, and keep listening. There's more stuff on the way. Mm-hmm.